Hello and welcome to Writing Children's Fiction. My name's Andy and I write children's fiction under the pseudonym A.P. Winter. This week is the second in a two-part episode about scenes, so I would definitely recommend listening to part one first, where we discussed how scenes are about change and about how we make use of conflict, character, time, place, choice and intrigue. Okay, let's get started. Blake Snyder, another screenwriter, by the way, has some great tips for scene creation in his book, Save the Cat. His methods refer to planning your scenes, and he actually recommends having a large corkboard to arrange your scenes so that you can see if a story is hanging together. This is usually the point where students look at me like I'm a caveman, because they all have Scrivener and it does this automatically, apparently. Anyway, this idea of having little cards that summarise the significant features of scenes isn't just useful for when you're laying out scenes in the planning stages. It also helps us understand approaches to writing scenes in the first place, and underlines what a strong scene is all about. Basically, you have a card for each scene. At the top of that card, you write the location of the scene. For our example, let's say a big school hall. Underneath that, you write the substance of the scene. What happens, what changes. For example, let's say some guy called Harry is being sorted into a school house by a talking hat. Beneath that, we have some arrangement of a plus and a minus sign. This requires a quick explanation. The plus and minus sign are there to show how the situation or the mood changes. Basically, it's the emotional journey of the scene. Blake Snyder describes each scene as a mini-movie with a beginning, middle and end. If the scene starts at an emotional plus and moves towards something negative, for example, you'd put a plus sign followed by a minus sign an easy reminder of how things are going to change. So in our example, we've got a school hall. Harry is being sorted into a schoolhouse by a talking hat. And the scene moves from him being apprehensive about the idea of being placed with people who seem like bullies and not understanding what's going on to a place of contentment when he's placed in the house he wants. We don't need to write all that, we're just going to put a minus sign followed by a plus sign. Finally, on our card, we have the conflict of the scene summed up in one line. Snyder indicates this with a more than sign followed by a less than sign, but it's not really important what symbol you use. We've talked about conflict before in Where the Wild Things Argue, and in the last podcast, but I'll just read what Snyder has to say about conflict in scenes, because I think it sums it up better than I could. To understand what conflict is, I always like to think of a scene like this. As the lights come up, two people walk into a room from opposite doors, meet in the middle, and begin to struggle past each other to reach the door on the opposite side. They each enter the scene with a goal, and standing in their way, 
is an obstacle. That's conflict. I'll skip ahead a little here. When each scene opens, you must know what the main conflict of that scene is and who is booking against whom. Each person or entity has an agenda. What is it? How does it collide with the person or entity they must get past? The symbol on the bottom of each card must be filled in with who each of the players is in each scene of conflict, what the issue is, and who wins by the end. If it's more than one person or issue, you've got muddy conflict, and your scene is probably muddy too. Only one conflict per scene, please. One is plenty, and whether it's a large issue or a small one, something physical or something psychological, it must be there, every scene, every time. If you can't find a conflict, figure out a way to create one. Okay, I'll stop reading there. I always make sure to quote someone else when giving bad news. The point is, this stuff is important, and getting to grips with it early can really help focus your efforts. So, what's our conflict in our example scene? Where do these two characters, this talking hat and Harry, travelling in opposite directions, meet each other? Well, the hat wants to put Harry in the mean house with the bullies, but Harry gets the house he wants. Can you see how this works as a scene? I hope you can see fairly easily how it wouldn't be as interesting if we removed some of these devices. So how the stakes or conflict or change elements are all helping. If we don't understand that the hat is choosing the houses, and if it hasn't been established that one house is especially mean, the stakes wouldn't work. If there's no change, if this is an arbitrary process, it wouldn't have as much impact. The fact that he gets into the house or not by the end of it is fun and tense and interesting. It's also setting up a new location that we're going to discover based on this choice, so extra marks for that. And if there's no conflict, if we don't get the moment where Harry is pleading with the hat to put him in one house, while the hat suggests putting him in another, the change is a lot less meaningful, and it would be a much shorter or a much more boring scene. Each of these elements is pulling their weight. And this is what we're talking about when we discuss ways of making scenes more interesting. In a way, it's not the details that make something interesting, but how they come together. In terms of excitement, whether it's a talking hat, or a mirror on the wall, or a person behind a desk at a job centre, is less important than these interesting connections being made and tensions set up. And as Snyder says, it's easy to appreciate them in this instance because there's one main change, one main conflict being dealt with. This can seem constraining at first when you have a big story to tell, but it's really helpful to hold yourself back from all the things you could include because it encourages you to set up interesting things across the book. As a final point on those plus and minus signs, if you find in the planning or in your writing that you're getting scenes that begin and end on a negative repeatedly, so just bad to bad to bad, etc., often in the later stages of drafts, it's probably a sign that plot 
isn't as interesting as it could be. The same is true for too many plus signs. We want a sense of change, even if the overall journey of the book is becoming more serious or the stakes are getting higher. As I said, I don't just like to consider these things in planning scenes on a broad scale. I find it useful as a way of thinking about scenes as we go. It makes them into neat units of conflict that are easier to understand and swap around in your head. Even if you're writing a complex book, it's fairly manageable to address one of these little units over the course of a couple of pages. And with these criteria in mind, it's easier to see when scenes aren't pulling their weight. And to be clear, this this isn't something I was born with. I've practiced until it has become second nature. And I would recommend, if you haven't already, that you do the same. Try designing scenes until you get good at it. Make it part of your routine. Even jotting down ideas for the elements, so what the conflict is, who's there, what changes, is good practice. So we've got this idea from Blake Snyder about the elements of scenes, but you might also have gathered from this that it's useful to think about scenes as ways of setting up other scenes. Now, How do we go about that without more rigorous planning? What I found useful recently is a slightly more zoomed out view of things, using types of contrasts to form the basis of multiple scenes. This is definitely best explained with examples. I recently finished a draft of something where the main character's brother is kidnapped by a monster. Rescuing him is the overarching goal. For the early stages of scenes in this story, we have these contrasts. Peace to disturbance. So two brothers living together, hoping something interesting might happen one day. The younger brother goes off exploring in the woods, and he is kidnapped by a monster. We then have inaction to action. The main character isn't able to immediately pursue the monster. He's injured, grown-ups don't believe his story, he's stuck. He waits for his chance, makes a choice, and sets out to rescue his brother. Now we have trapped to escape. A storm sets in, making it hard to find his way. He's lost and captured by bandits. He can't reason with them and needs to escape to continue his quest. But then a mysterious helper emerges, someone he is unwittingly called to for assistance. They save him, and the adventure continues. There's an individual basis to each scene that makes up these blocks, so little dramas, conflicts, choices things that need to change, all crucial aspects that I I won't go into here, but I want to focus on these opposing states. I hope as you see these pairings, you can see something forming. Each block sets up something the reader wants to happen, moves towards this outcome, then adds complications. So at the outset, we want something to come along to make life interesting, but it turns out to be something scary, a monster and a kidnapping. We want the main character to be able to make things right. That's the big thing that we're going to want for the whole book, but at this stage we want him to make that first step to make things right. 
and initially he can't, he's injured, so we get a sense of wanting that before it comes to fruition. And then this setting out leads to another immediate disaster. We wanted him to go after his brother, but we didn't want him to get caught, obviously. Now we want him to escape from this calamity, and so on. I like to think about these types of contrasts beyond merely plus and minus signs, so that I can identify a sense of variety in what is changing, even within a plot that has one overarching goal. And so that we get a clear idea of things we want to happen, not just in the overarching story, but in each step along the way. It won't always be things we want to happen. Sometimes a good way of looking at a block of scenes is how we move from a good situation to a bad, especially later on in the story. But again, having a sense of where the block is taking us will provide a picture of how scenes will work as part of the whole. It also echoes a more standard idea about individual scenes, one that you can find in Paul Ashton's The Calling Card script, that scenes show an action, a reaction, and then a further unexpected reaction. So another challenge appears, something we didn't anticipate. So in this example, the siblings talk about being bored, his brother goes off exploring, but a monster takes him. He's stuck at home, he plans to head out, but bandits capture him. The bandits won't let him go, he plans to escape, but a mysterious stranger arrives. You can hear those complications sending things spinning in a new direction every few scenes. Each of them has a strong connection to the one clear goal, rescuing his brother, but that doesn't mean we spend every chapter dealing with the same things. There are new challenges, new choices, new surprising consequences. Most importantly, there are things the reader wants to happen, all set up by this idea of opposing states. Like most things we talk about with storytelling, it can seem fairly obvious once it's outlined, but it's easy to write sections of scenes that don't have a clear basis in what they're encouraging us to want or anticipate. Okay, I feel like we're just scratching the surface there. Just those three blocks present much broader questions about how we structure a plot and how we make action seem significant. I want to talk about using dialogue to progress the plot too, but that will all have to wait for another time. That's everything for this time. Thank you so much to everyone that supported the podcast last week. It's really touching to see that people are finding these talks useful. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by clicking on the link in the description to buy me a coffee, where, appropriately enough, you can donate the price of a coffee. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I didn't have any aspirations for this podcast when it started, but I'm now officially addicted to checking the listening figures each month, so thank you for that. If you like the ideas discussed today and would like to read more, check out Save the Cat by Blake Snyder and The Calling Card Script by Paul Ashton. We'll be looking at another issue around writing next time, possibly dialogue, but don't hold me to that. I hope you'll join me then.